What does it mean that all around us, the ingredients for delight are not only present, but abundantly so? Well, if that's true and how that connects to 19th century transcendentalists, 21st century metaphysics, and also a daily practice that invites us to light, that's what's coming up this week on The Deeper Podcast. My name is Reverend Sean, and I'm so glad you're joining us. I'm one of your hosts. And as you know, if you've joined us before, The Deeper Podcast is a podcast that's solely dedicated on how we bring a little bit more courage and a little bit more love into our daily lives. Because courage allows us to take the risk to step into our virtue and love is not only the path that we are called to take, but it is also the way in which we move forward in this world. And I'm so grateful that you're joining us for a new series that we're kicking off on the podcast called In the Little Things. We're exploring what does it mean that amongst all of the reorganization that we're going through in our lives, all of the resetting and the trying to get back to normal, but also it's not normal. What does it mean when there's wars that are broken out around the world, that there's kind of overwhelm that most of us are dealing with on a daily basis? What does it mean for us to think that in the little things, in the smallest of moments that we could find the ingredients for delight and joy and resilience? Which is why during this series, we're inviting you to participate actively in noticing those everyday delights. And I'm going to invite one of our members, Gracie Wright, to share a reflection about her daily practice inspired by Ross Gay's Book of Delights, which is kind of the inspiration for this whole series. And she's going to not only talk about her practice, and but she's going to give you a little homework, a little homework of practicing noticing everyday delights. So I'm going to turn it over to Gracie. All week, I was in San Jose at a climate tech conference, learning from some of the country's greatest minds actively working to address our climate crisis. I traveled and stayed with three of my colleagues and invited them in to my daily ritual of starting each day by setting an intention and sharing three gratitudes and by ending each day by reflecting on delight. Each night, we sat under blankets and boomed at someone's description of a warm croissant, wowed at someone's chance meeting of someone from their small hometown, ooed at hopeful learning. In the midst of a conference about a really, really tough subject, we rooted in our, or we rooted ourselves in what I think is the purpose of this life, connection, joy, and beauty. We practiced seeing and reflecting upon delight. I began my delight practice in September 2020. I was writing in a journal that had an expense tracker, and I decided that it would be more pleasing to make it a delight tracker. After reading Roske's book, The Book of Blights, I was aware of the power of this practice. Author Roske talks about this practice as a commitment to temporal allegiance, a commitment to the present. In order to recognize delight, we have to be here right now. It's also a recognition that this, this life, is all going to end. So we should dance and wail and 
praise and praise and praise beauty. So every single day, I pay attention. I engage in pleasurable witnessing. At the end of the day, I think through all of the things that were delightful. I pick one of them to write down. For me, it's just a sentence. It's often the last thing I do in the day and the last thing that Chris and I talk about in the day as our heads lay on our pillows. I have detailed 789 delights since that first day. Documenting and recognizing delight is about witnessing to the abundance of being alive, witnessing to the constant caretaking we do of one another, holding the door, letting one another into traffic, picking up something someone dropped, witnessing to the lightness of nature, a family of baby robins bathing in a sprinkler, the head of a little bee popping out of the soil, a maple tree sprinkling, sprinkling blazing leaves down on a breezy day, witnessing the comfort we experience, sticking cold feet into fluffy slippers, steaming soup from a veggie dumpling dripping down your chin, an embrace from a colleague when sadness overwhelms. As part of our November series, Foothills invites our community to join in this daily practice of delight for the whole month of November. We invite everyone every day to first, notice something delightful. Second, be present in it. Take a photo of it, write a haiku about it, make a video about it, or write a short reflection about it. You can choose to do a different practice every day or do the same practice the whole series. And three, if you want, we invite you to share your practice on social media with the hashtag EverydayDelight and tag Foothills Unitarian at Foothills UU on Instagram and at Foothills Unitarian Church on Facebook. We look forward to engaging in this shared practice. Today, all right, do you know what you're doing? Do you know your homework, the spiritual practice that you're invited into to notice these everyday delights? Well, I hope you take it seriously. Because when you approach life searching for the thing that is going to delight you, it shifts a mindset. I mean, it can't change the outer realities of the world. There's nothing that we can do as individuals in a moment to transform society to be, uh, you know, more just, more loving, more beautiful, just by our sheer mental capacity and visualization. But we can change a lot when we change the mindset that we bring to the world. And that is what this practice is inviting you into. Uh, one moment uh, on Sunday that really stuck with me is we lit the chalice in the second service, and there was a, a kid in one of the rows, and uh, I don't know, maybe like five or six. And as the chalice was lit, uh, they just said fire, uh, and it was just this outpouring of joy and and just delight in seeing it. Um, and what I also loved was that the people around them didn't kind of like hush them down, right? They 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 kind of chuckled alongside them as I did from all the way up on the stage. And it's that sort of uh, orientation to like seeing the thing and truly delighting in it that we're inviting us into, especially in the season where we start to get stressed about end of term, about the upcoming holidays. 
about the winter and the decreasing sunlight, all of that can create a degree of anxiety amongst us. And so if we kind of turn that on its head and start to search for that delight in the world, it can help us to notice that truth that sits alongside life's challenges. I'm going to invite Reverend Gretchen to dive into her message today, which is all about how we crack open all that is around us. Like a lot of teenagers, my daughter really does not love getting up in the morning. Instead, she loves her cozy bed and the sweet dark of her room. Many days, she can barely be persuaded that anything would be better than just staying there and sleeping. Now, this can lead to a lot of frustrating exchanges and more than a few tense words exchanged, but sometimes when I'm in a more patient place, I can step back and laugh at how 17 years ago, I would have given anything for her to sleep like this. See, for most of her first year, Gracie would wake up three or four times in the night, usually soaked through her diaper and hungry. Like most first-time parents, we both knew this could happen, and also we had no idea how it would actually feel to go weeks and months in a row with no more than three hours of sleep in a row. I'm confident that I lost a portion of my brain functioning that I will definitely never get back. Now, since we could not breastfeed, there was no like turning over and feeding intermittently off and on in a kind of sleepy haze that I've heard about. Night feeding for us instead meant trekking down the curvy stairs to the kitchen where we could, we would carefully make a bottle and then go back up those stairs, feed her, and then eventually go back to sleep only to be woken up for a repeat a couple hours later. Over and over again for months until one day Carrie had a brilliant idea where she realized we could pre-make the bottles and avoid the up and down the stairs, not to mention the trying to make the bottles while half asleep, which let's be honest, often resulted in like spoonfuls of formula on the counter. It felt like a really good solution, except one thing pre-made bottles can't just sit out all night. So we made a special trip to Babies R Us and found a special cooler made just for bottles that we could keep in our room. We felt so proud of this solution. The only wrinkle in our plan was that Gracie would have to drink cold bottles. It wasn't technically bad for her, but let's just say she did not exactly make a happy face when she'd take those first few gulps. But those extra few minutes of sleep in the night was just everything to us. And so with only a tiny bit of guilt, we decided it was fine. She, she's fine. So fast forward two years later when our second child, Joseph, arrived. From the start, Joseph was a much better sleeper. But he'd still wake in the night for food and changing like babies do. So we pulled out that little cooler and returned to our routine until one morning, Carrie looked at me and said, Hey, why don't we just get the water all ready and get the bottles ready with the right amount of formula in them and then put them by our bed and then not mix them until he needs one in the night. That way they don't have to be cold, but also we don't have to go all the way to the kitchen. When she said this, we both had a pause and then we burst out laughing and also immediately felt so bad for Gracie and all those sad faces she'd made with the cold bottles. The solution had been there right in front of us the whole time. But as first time moms doing so many things for the first time and 
we'd been overwhelmed and anxious and tired, anxious, not, you know, not just because of regular stuff of being new moms, but also because of the high risk of the foster care process, foster adoptive process we were in. And did I mention that we were really tired? We were just clumsy and disoriented so much of the time, which meant we simply could not see that what we needed was right there. And instead we came up with other solutions that created other problems and poor Gracie had to endure all those cold bottles. Has this ever happened to you? You know where the, the thing you need is actually just right there in front of you, but it might as well be on another planet, especially when you're tired or anxious or you're doing something you've never done before. Things are just hard and overwhelming and a struggle until suddenly something happens and it's just like, you just, just wake up and the thing that you've been needing is just, just there. And then instead of feeling that life is impossible and overwhelming without anything really changing, it feels instead suddenly easy. And like you have everything that you need or want. Or really, I mean, without anything changing outside of you. Because what happens is that something really significant does change inside you. Something breaks loose in your heart or in your mind, in your, your body, where, where there was once struggle there and chaos, there is ease and breath. And where there was judgment, there is instead joy. And right where you had been rigid and annoyed, you instead start to laugh with delight. It is an experience of awakening to what is already true as if seeing with new eyes, or as if the world, the realer world, just comes into focus. When it happens, it feels like magic, and in a certain way, it kind of is. Because there is not a precise formula for it to get the switch to flip. Something happens in you that is both about you, but also is profoundly not about you. It reminds me of how I've come to think about addiction and recovery, which is that there's an element of getting sober that it requires making choices. That is everyday choices that will create the possibility for wellness, both in the individual and also people around the individual making choices. Choices that include new patterns of behaviors and boundaries. Choices built on a commitment to change and choices that create new opportunities for connection. But also there is an element of recovery that is beyond choice. It is instead about an intervention of grace that releases the grip of addiction and makes sobriety possible. And this happens not just in addiction, but in all sorts of ways when we get caught in a cycle of pain and struggle that is until in a flash or maybe in a slow, meticulous crawl, we come instead to know healing and freedom and joy all a result of both the choices that we're making and also something beyond our own choices. I call it grace because it doesn't matter whether you deserve it, deserve that awakening or not. And it doesn't matter whether you've tried hard enough or if you want it enough. Grace is the force that comes as a gift, the force that softens your heart or flips the switch or opens your eyes and ears and minds to something that was already and always true, where you realize that everything you need is here, in you, among you, among us, and has been all along. 
Now, with all that said, I don't mean to invoke the sort of theology that says all we have to do is think differently and life will be beautiful. You know, the sort of theology that was popularized in The Secret a few years back or by Tony Robbins or even by Deepak Chopra, all of which have this version of an idea, the idea that by simply reframing our mindset, we will have everything that we need or that we can power of positive thinking our way to the good life. These are dangerous theologies, actually, that don't hold up to any of the atrocities of human existence, like slavery or famine or abuse, let alone physical or mental illness. These tangible realities are not erased by thinking differently. What I mean instead is, that, is to say that there's something also always and persistently true alongside and intertwined with these, these great losses and atrocities that is the presence of persistent and unconditional goodness and abundance, universally available and unconditional. Some might conceive of this goodness and abundance as God, but you don't have to. One explicitly Unitarian way of conceiving of it comes from the Transcendentalists. That's the 19th century movement in our history that focused on the capacity of individuals to discern ultimate truth through their own experience and the goodness of human nature and all nature. One of the leaders of the Transcendentalist movement, Ralph Waldo Emerson, described the persistent presence of unconditional goodness as the oversoul. I want to read now a longish quote from his 1841 essay called The Oversoul, because I want us to hear this theology that is our own tradition that we can work with, and also because it gives us a really good way to understand and conceive of this goodness that is always and everywhere available. Okay, so Emerson writes, the great nature in which we rest, as the earth lies in the soft arms of the atmosphere, that unity, the oversoul, within which every person's particular being is contained and made one with all other, that common heart of which all sincere conversation is the worship, to which all right action is submission, that overpowering reality which confutes our tricks and talents and constrains everyone to pass for what they are and to speak from their character and not from their tongue and which evermore tends to pass into our thought and hand and become wisdom and virtue and power and beauty. We live in succession, in division, in parts, in particles. Meantime, within humanity is the soul of the whole the wise silence, the universal beauty, to which every part and particle is equally related, the eternal one. And this deep power in which we exist and whose beatitude is all accessible to us is not only self-sufficing and perfect in every hour, but the act of seeing and the thing seen, the seer and the spectacle, the subject and the object are one. We see the world piece by piece as the sun, the moon, the animal, the tree, but the whole of which these things are the shining parts is the soul, that we can wake up 
and experience a sense of this reality, this awareness that everything we need is here, that it can even for a moment wash over us with delight and wonder and joy without anything changing all that much outside of us is a reminder that we can live with a faith in this truth all the time. So that when we feel we are falling short or when we feel the world is falling short, which happens all the time in small everyday ways and also in devastating, destructive ways, we can remember that in this same place where there is struggle, there is also the presence of this great oneness and universal beauty. A presence that offers us companionship in this struggle. A promise that we are never alone, that we are seen and known and loved. And also a presence that offers us partnership and support to carry us through. And assurance that something else is possible. As the prophet Isaiah said, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not yet perceive it? To live with this awareness even when we are not perceiving it is an orientation of the heart. It is an act of faith. And this faith is one of the choices that makes our experience of this goodness more possible, that we might in turn become its partner and co-conspirator, furthering its reach and its forces in our lives and in the world. Elia Kemmler wrote her story about the church where everything goes wrong just a couple months after she started a new ministry, which is not the case for me. I've been serving Foothills for a decade as of this summer, but there was a moment right around that 10 year mark where I couldn't stop thinking about her reflection and that feeling she describes so well where she wants everything to be holy and lovely and perfect and instead it's difficult and loud and a struggle. Especially coming out of the pandemic, sometimes I, I felt like we have a kind of amnesia about where we've, we kind of forget how to do this thing we've actually done every Sunday for over a century. But then I remember that sometimes amnesia is about trauma. And I remember we've been through something. Something that matters. And we are still trying to make sense of. And I remember that this, this process, this recovery is happening not just in church, but in all sorts of places in our lives, like, like schools and workplaces and in spaces for volunteering and in activism. Things where that, that we remember as being easy feel instead difficult and complex. Kind of like when Carrie and I were first-time parents, there's this collective anxiety and ex exhaustion among people these days that make the even the most obvious things feel obscure and out of reach. So it was this Sunday where my friend and colleague, the Reverend Kelly Dignan was here to lead the service. We were preparing for our first membership ceremony in three years. She'd arrived early and we were talking through the order of service with staff and volunteers and it was just taking forever. One issue after another came up and finally, until finally ready or not, it was just time to start. I leaned over to Kelly and asked, do you remember church being this hard? And she just laughed and said, I really don't. The service proceeded on and before long, it was time for that membership ceremony. And at that point, Elaine invited everyone who had recently joined Foothills or who was ready that day to join and to all of them to come forward. 
And at that moment, about a third of the gathering got out of their chairs and rushed the stage. I later called it our Unitarian altar call. It was chaotic and it was confusing and it took about 10 minutes longer than we thought it would. But in that moment, something broke in me, broke open in me. Instead of being annoyed and overwhelmed at the mess of it all, I was overcome with how beautiful it all is. That after everything, we're still seeking community and relationship and meaning, and these impulses are not tidy. They overflow because this goodness is abundant and resilient and everywhere. Coming back to church after all these last few years, in many ways, we are all new here, all doing this for the first time because this moment is new and we're all learning over again who we are and how to do all of this together and why. How to have a church that's both in the sanctuary and also in so many other places like here with you. What it means to have a faith that is uncontained and everywhere in the place of our greatest struggle resides also the source of beauty. Here we are met in partnership with the presence of love that abides and that reminds us over and over again, we are not just enough. We are together more than enough already and always. May it be so. And amen. I so appreciate the way that Gretchen threaded the complex needle around this reality of abundance because, because it is true for so many people in the world, including many of us, there are structural realities that are outside the control of our mindsets. And yet, there's also this other truth that gets mixed in there of this more than enoughness that does exist everywhere and always. To kind of let the message sink in, I'm going to offer a little prayer. Spirit of life and love, help us to trust. To trust that everything that fills our day is the ordinary stuff of life, the seemingly mundane, the pedestrian, that all of the stuff of our living is enough, more than enough, even. That the necessary ingredients, the fertilizers of delight, catalysts of joy, the precursors of strength, the a prioris of pride are already around us. If we can just lean into trusting their enoughness. Spirit of truth. Banish from our minds the deluded anxieties that cut our vision down to fatalistic inevitability. Stir in our hearts the persistent conviction that the welcome table is set, the oversoul accessible, the divine here with us, the abundance of love that is uncontainable, ready for our joy to be claimed over and over and over and over again. And even amidst this broken and beautiful world, we can find the necessary nutrients in the little things. Each day. Each day. Amen.
Thanks for listening to The Deeper Podcast. We get to do these cool things, spread these messages of courageous living because of people like you. And we're in that season right now at Foothills where we're inviting people to become courageous love activists. Now, courageous love activist is someone who believes in our message of unleashing courageous love, be it in Northern Colorado and beyond. A courageous love advo- activist knows that right now, more than any other time of our living, we need communities to come together, not only to advocate for justice for the marginalized, but also to build belonging amongst so many of us that feel isolated, not only isolated from relationship, but isolated from our own power, our capacity to affect any sort of change or even our capacity to see within ourselves that inherent worth that is our birthright. Now, courageous love activists look many different ways. And we invite everyone to find a place on the path of generous, generous giving because our money is our morals. Where we put our money indicates what we think is important. And so if you're a person who's maybe been listening to the podcast for a while, but have never thought about contributing financially, I would encourage you to. This work that we get to do, it's so important. And you can be a part of making sure that it continues. You can learn more at foothillsuu.org slash courageous love. If you're ready to make a donation and make a pledge to make a financial commitment, you can go to foothillsuu.org slash pledge. Everything we do is supported by the people who think and deem it worthy. We'd still love to count you amongst our people. Wherever you find yourself on that path towards generous giving, we're grateful. Thanks for listening. But most of all, thanks for listening, for joining the hundreds of others of you who tune in every week to be reminded that courage and love are not out of reach. In fact, they're all around us. There's more than enough around us. If only we open ourselves to it. Thanks for listening.